This week on episode 494 of Priority One, we trek out news about Star Trek Prodigy, how a Cuban helped pave the way for Star Trek, Michael Dorn's Captain Worf pitch, and Nichelle Nichols' final appearance on screen. In Star Trek Gaming, the MMO Star Trek Online has launched its 11th anniversary celebrations, and we run down what you should expect. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 494 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, January 26th, 2021, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 29th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And in our live streaming booth is our live stream technician, Brandon. Hey guys, how's it going? Hello. What's up, live stream? Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or you can email us. Reach out to us at income at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, this week uh, we got a nice little boost from Heather Barker, who's a big Star Trek community person, right? She's you know always at the conventions and she's big on Twitter uh, because we I, I asked her to help us spread the word that we're looking for a new host. So again, we're still interested in diversifying our voices here and elevating people and voices of color or members of the LGBTQ community. So if you are interested in joining the conversation, feel free to reach out to us at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And up at the top of the website, there's a link that says Join the Crew. There you'll find more information and how you can apply. And if you can't spare the time to commit to a volunteer position, you can always help us out financially by visiting our Patreon website at Patreon.com forward slash priority one there if you join us at the ten dollars per month amount you can have access to our additional show after hours where you can join the crew and talk more about star trek usually reviewing an episode and it's just it's all unfiltered there's no editing well there's a little bit of track cleanup and a bumper that we put on there but i mean it's just it's just raw I mean, you're gonna catch us at our not at our best we'll put it that way uh but it is always a good time and it's always a lot of fun we uh, generally have dr robert hurt join us uh you know from the astrometrics segments and we just exchange frank viewpoints about things. So if a financial uh, contribution is in the cards for you uh, at $10 a month, uh, join us for that. And uh, we appreciate any and all financial contributions you can make. And we have other tiers as well from as little as a dollar and up. So even if you can't afford the $10 level, there are other ways that you can contribute. Also to note, patrons who are listening now, I am sharing the streaming link so that you can watch us record After Hours Live should you choose. So we're always finding ways of providing perks to our patrons. So check us out again, as, as Tony said, patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jamal. 
We have some breaking news from Twitter regarding the Nickelodeon animated show Star Trek Prodigy. On Monday, January 24th, Kate Mulgrew was asked about the show, saying that she'd already finished recording for season one and how much she enjoyed returning to the role of Catherine Janeway. Mulgrew ended the chat saying, quote, I think we are going into the next season very soon, end quote. What? Did they announce they were doing a second season? I don't think they did. No, this is the first time I think she let it slip in this little, you know, galaxy. I think so I think this was part of a paid opportunity that people have been doing with these virtual conventions like GalaxyCon where people can pay and have a quick Zoom call, five-minute Zoom call with their chosen Star Trek actor. So, yeah, no, there was, there's been no official announcement. I'm pretty sure she let slip that she's going to do a season two. Doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, they, they need content for CBS All Access or Paramount Plus, as it will <laughs> soon be <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, not at all related to Disney Plus, not at all. But they they need that content, and those animated shows are, I guess, a pretty. I mean, not easy thing to do, but a simpler thing to do, especially in a COVID land. You know, if you can get the voice actors to record their lines separately, and then everybody animates on their home computers and stuff, so seems like a no-brainer. While we're on the topic of actors giving out information during interviews, on last week's episode of Priority One, we had discussed the unlikelihood of Michael Dorn reprising his role of Worf in any of the new tracks. Shows. Coincidentally, in an interview with TrekMovie.com that was posted earlier this week, Dorn was asked if he was interested in playing Worf in Star Trek Picard, to which he replied, quote, It depends on the role. I don't want to get in makeup and just stand around and scowl at people, end quote. He also said he has not yet been contacted by anyone from Picard or Lower Decks, so I suppose we can draw our own conclusions. However, he did go into some detail about the script he wrote for Captain Worf, saying that he envisioned telling stories about the Federation and Starfleet from the Klingon point of view. Worf would essentially be more like an ambassador to the Klingon Defense Force, trying to bring unity to the Klingon Empire. That's a pretty interesting take. I mean, I'd like to read his script about it. Well, this is a Misery Loves Company thing, right? If he's got to get into uh, makeup, everyone else has to be in Klingon makeup, too. I mean, you know, everyone's <laughs> got to do the same. It's not going to be just him scowling at people. Everyone's got to scowl, and everyone's got to have the forehead on. Everybody. Must be a really unpleasant experience, because he sure complains about it a lot. I, You know, I, you know, maybe it was... The, obviously, the technology was different, right? Back in the 80s and early 90s, I'm sure that the makeup was uncomfortable. But you know who's been doing creature effects and creature acting since the 80s? Doug Jones. And you don't ever hear him complaining about it. Well, you put on a Klingon forehead once a week now. And now I do. Well, but then again, this is, you know, lighter. I I assume that what I'm getting from John Paladin is a lighter material, you know, a little easier to, to manage. Whereas back then, for all we know, it was the same rubber they use for dishwasher gloves, you know? So, you know, maybe it's a little different, you know, but but again, it's mostly the complaining that bothers me. And he is, let's be frank, he's 68 years old. I just looked up on uh, on Wikipedia before we started this. I mean, he's get, it's, he's a little north of where you'd expect a captain to be at, at this point. I don't know. That's, if, that, if that's shelf life, if there's a lot more shelf life left there. But he does share my birthday, so there's that. I, I, do, oh. I just I discovered that. Oh, look at that. We're birthday. We're birthday. I didn't think he was. I didn't know you were 68. We don't share the birth year. Oh, got it. it. Just the day. Thanks. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway. <laughs> it was just last week that we were raising a glass to the memory of the Star Trek fan film ecosystem of the mid-20-teens. And then what do we find? It's an article from WFMZ-TV out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, describing the Kickstarter for the sequel to the fan-produced Star Trek Renegades from 2015, directed by Tim Russ. The earlier film had quite a few notable appearances from Star Trek alums, including Walter Koenig as Admiral Chekhov, Robert Picardo as the Doctor, and Tim Russ as Tuvok, just to name a few. And seriously, that's just a few. You can't go 10 minutes in that show without saying, isn't that the guy from... Yes? Yes, it is. The sequel, entitled Renegades Omanara, is boasting that they have lined up the, quote, final performance, unquote, of Nichelle Nichols, but she will not be playing Uhura, and Walter Koenig will return, but not as Admiral Chekhov. Tim Russ is back in the director's chair, leading a newer cast of stars with a few credits each on their own TV CVs. The Kickstarter is sitting at just under $26,000 as we record, two-thirds of the way to its goal of $35,000 with 12 days to go. We'll put links in the show notes to the article and to the Kickstarter, but a quick word of warning here from the Spoil Sport lawyers. This project, as it's currently advertised, might not pass muster with the CBS Legal Eagles. For one thing, it's advertised as, quote, a full 40-minute show, which is a network hour-long television show, end quote, which does not work with the fan film limits of one single 15-minute project or two 15-minute segments of a single project. Also, the participation of Nichols, Koenig, and Russ seems to run afoul of the rule that, quote, creators, actors, and all other participants must be amateurs cannot be compensated for their services and cannot be currently or previously employed on any star trek series films production of dvds or with any of cbs or paramount pictures licensees end quote so it looks like a fun project so long as the fun police don't shut it down well hold on a second i was under the impression and also cairo in the chat points out they rebranded the whole thing so it's no longer star trek renegades and it's not the Federation, but it's so, the Confederation and yada yada. If they're not doing any of that stuff, then that's fine. But they're still calling it Renegade. So as long as it's not, as long as it doesn't have any of those branding things on there, that's that, that's fine. Yeah, yeah I think, I the, think they're skirting. They're skirting the line. Yeah, because yeah. currently or previously employed on, it doesn't say like they can't portray the original characters that they portrayed previously. Well, and, I think that's the idea is that they can't. So that's why they that's why they've changed all the things. So right. as long as they're not using anything, I mean they're. They're billing it as a sequel to Renegades, but they're having to take out everything that made it Star Trek Renegade. Hmm. Right. Maybe uh, they just... have a deal with CBS and got sort of permission. Maybe. My understanding is CBS, even for James Cauley, who you know were who was doing his stuff, and uh, Vic Mignon down in Georgia was doing his stuff. They were okay with those productions, right? They were fine with them. It wasn't until someone came along and tried to raise millions of dollars without yeah. something yeah. to show for it, it that it ruined it for everyone, right? So, but because of that, because of that one person, it affected even the established fan films that were respected and left alone by CBS. So my, if, if my, again, my understanding is that Renegades is rebranded entirely. They're no longer Star Trek characters in a Star Trek world. I feel like that's a song. <laughs> and that should hopefully keep them safe because honestly, I liked the first Renegades. I thought that was a, a, a very well done 
fan film. I thought it was well done and and looked good and was was pretty well. Pretty and that, and that's yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Is this is maybe a test run. If they've rebranded everything inside the film, but are saying it's the same crew that does that did this old thing. I mean that that's that that could be the, a new way to, to to make it happen. You know, if yeah. if uh, James Colley liked making TV, saying it's the same crew that did Star Trek Continues, maybe that would be okay. Right. He just wouldn't be able to call it Star Trek Continues. He'd call right. it Star Trek Ongoing Adventures. He, he he would have to call it Space World the Voyages <laughs> yes. of yes. Newness. Exactly. And everyone would have to wear green, purple, and orange shirts instead yes. of red, yellow, and blue. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's like a bad Animaniacs parody. I would, you know what? I, now that we talk about it, I think I'd like to see that. I really do think that I would like to see that. If you fancy yourself a television history buff or have dived into the books and stories detailing behind the scenes development of Star Trek, then you've probably already heard that if Gene Roddenberry is Star Trek's father, then Lucille Ball would certainly be its mother. This, for the most part, is true. By the time Star Trek was ready to begin filming, Lucille Ball had taken full control of Desilu Productions. And if you've read Mark Cushman's These Are the Voyages, you'll have read a fun little piece of lore that Lucy, herself, once swept the soundstage of Star Trek just to help keep the production on schedule and on budget. But the road to Star Trek was being paved years earlier with Desi Arnaz very much in the picture. In a recent episode of NPR's Planet Money, the hosts give you a quick rundown of how this immigrant from Cuba helped shape television today. From abandoning the classic Kenneth to introducing the three rolling cameras to insisting on a live studio audience, Desi Arnaz's influence can be seen today in all your favorite sitcoms, from The Fresh Prince to Friends to Frasier. And when Lucy got pregnant in real life and the I Love Lucy show had to go on hiatus, well, Desi had an answer for that too. Reruns and syndication. For anyone looking to enhance their appreciation for the history of television, and if you liked watching I Love Lucy and are curious to learn a bit more about the loud, bombastic Cuban man who loves Lucy, check out the show notes. Obviously, I was going to include this story in the show. There well, was clearly. just no way around it. You don't got if, no explaining to do. If I don't got no explaining to do. If you don't already know, I am first generation Cuban American. My entire family came from the island just 90 miles south of Florida. And I find this fascinating, right? I as I've grown older, I've grown to be more fascinated with the behind the scenes of things, right? Particularly Star Trek, right? The the franchise that we do a show for each and every week. And you know, Lucy Lucy gets a lot of attention because by the time Star Trek was in production, she, you know, Desi had sold off his shares of Desilu over to Lucy. But Desi Arnaz was a trailblazer in television at the time, right? Lucy and Desi, having met on stage doing a movie, realized that they worked well together and then took a version of I Love Lucy on the road to kind of test it out. And when they came back, they approached the studio and said, Look, we want to do it. We want to do it in front of a live studio audience. We want three cra- cameras. And the studio looked at them like they were crazy. Three cameras, right? That's just that was unheard of at the time. And now it's the de facto method of filming a, a sitcom. So a lot of these things that that we take for granted now that we're so used to seeing in our sitcoms was spearheaded by a Cuban immigrant. And I find that incredibly fascinating that Star Trek may not have happened had it not been for the vision that Desi had about managing his own work. If you listen to the podcast, right, you'd learn about how the studio didn't want to pay for the technology. They didn't want to pay for three cameras. So Desi said, you know what? All right, fine. I'll pay for the cameras. But then I own the film. This is my, this is mine. 
which was unheard of of the time. And they didn't know any better, so they said, yeah, of course. It's just fascinating to me, fascinating to me. And here's another little Trek nugget of information for you. And you might have already seen it if you follow us on social media. When we went to Ticonderoga to the original series set tour, in the conference room of the original series set, this is this is for real film. If you look at the scenes in TOS, you'll notice the Federation flag. It's never fully unraveled, right? It's just hanging on a, on its pole, but it is in fact modeled after the Cuban flag. It's blue and white stripes with a red triangle, and instead of the star being inside the red triangle as it is in the Cuban flag, it's the symbol of the Federation with the um, stars and the grid galaxy and the two palm leaves, palm leaves. whatever. Yeah, the palm leaves, which is in- incredible to me. Incredible, incredible to me how a Cuban man, a Cuban immigrant who dealt with incredible racism in the 40s and 50s, managed to make his own production company that paved the way for things like Mission Impossible and Star Trek. So, and so now we know where Gene Roddenberry got all of his uh, let me own a piece of the IP idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Genius. I mean, that's fantastic. But that also credits, you know, like his strength of character and, you know, he's just going to get it done his way. And I, I don't know, for me, from on a personal note, it just, it, I don't know, I feel like I, I feel a little more connected to Star Trek. I do. I, like, re- no, learning about these stories and learning more about Desi and Lucy's collaboration with uh, Desilu Productions and, and how it then influenced television like Star Trek. It just, I, I don't know, I feel a little more connected. I feel a little more in, invested almost. I don't know. It's so weird. You know, it just makes me so ha- so much more interested in Star Trek, you know, from a, per- Engaged, from a, from a much different perspective. What was that? Engaged, would you say? Engaged, engaged. And you know what? I'll say this. They really should find a Cuban cap. We should have a Cuban captain with this kind of history. Oh, no, he's Chilean. Yeah, yeah. With this kind of with this kind of history, we should we should have seen a Cuban captain by now. You know, just a a flag is cool. But if you really want to pay homage to the history of television, you need a you need a a Cuban at the helm. And you know what? Doesn't look if you if you look at Cubans, we all look differently, right? It, it is a melting pot of, of races in Cuba. So it doesn't have to be a white Cuban, right? How much cooler would it have been if we had an Afro-Cuban at the uh, leading the way in Star Trek Discovery so that that way we didn't get something like, let's fly. Could have been something in Spanish, something cool in Spanish like... But how would you know? How would, how how would, you, would, know know? Was, how would you know he was Cuban? What do you mean? Mojiban, mojitos in a cigar? I mean, how would you know he was Cuban? That's the, that's the, <laughs> I think that's the problem. The that's character? The problem with the captain. Yeah, that's the problem with yeah. La Serena. And also, how, do you know which how version come of you're Spanish assuming it's a guy? Oh, well, we'll see there. See, there I go again. Yeah, how, he wouldn't, it wouldn't it, have to be. Oh, I, I don't, it doesn't have to be. I just, for default, you're right. It could have been, it, it, it could very well be a, a, an Afro-Cuban woman or, a, a, of course, I, no doubt. How would you know? Well, you because know? you start injecting Spanish into the script because it's, it's common, right? It's something that people aren't afraid of hearing, you know? It's a very English dominant industry and I understand why. But if we can have entire episodes and cling on subtitles, I'm pretty sure we can inject a little Spanish or a little other, a few other languages in our in our Star Trek lexicon. I agree. That's one thing Firefly did right when they incorporated Chinese words into mm-hmm. their into you know what they were saying. I thought that was genius. That's an excellent example. Yeah, see, excellent Ken example. from Chicago, get out of my head. <laughs>
Last but certainly not least, it is with a heavy heart that we report the passing of Richard Arnold. For those of you not familiar with the name, Arnold was known as Gene Roddenberry's right-hand man during the production of the series and later went on the convention circuit as a Star Trek expert. According to Rod Roddenberry in a post on Facebook, quote, Richard's voice was the one my father most often listened to because Richard listened to the fans, end quote. Our hearts go out to his and the Roddenberry family. That's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. When we journeyed two-thirds of the year's way, we found ourselves with a blazing fortress. For we had kept Cryptic's path that does not stray. It's hard to speak of what Grethor was, that hellish prison, cowardly and shameful, which, even in recall, renews my disgust. Glorious death is evermore dear." End quote. Now, of course, my fellow warriors, you've not experienced Dante until you have, well, you know the rest. In the beginning, we fought to preserve the Empire as a warrior's paradise. Together with its wayward son, Kimtar, the House of Moog endured the war zone's purgatory. Now, we stand at the gateway to Grethor, the inferno itself, to draw the Year of Klingon to its fiery conclusion. Cryptic's year-long revamp of the Klingon starting experience concludes with the launch of the anniversary event. And if the new Klingon hell doesn't do it for you, nothing will. We could wax rhapsodic for hours about the new maps, environment textures, enemies, the Dishonorable Three, and hair options, but the link is in our show notes, Captains. You have to see the screen caps to believe them. You know, it's been a year. The clans have changed. It's been two years. But the clans have changed. It's been at least a year. You know, I will say this. I was creating a character the other day, or I was, no, I was going through my main character, a human, whatever. It's nice when you, when you find a new hairstyle that doesn't look like a Lego wig. The hair is awesome! I picked the biggest hair imaginable for my new Klingon character because it looks so cool. It looks like real hair. Captains, when you play the mission, pay attention to all the different things that you might see. I think that it's a much better touch than even how New Trek on television handles the Klingons. I set the bar pretty high there. All right. Yeah, super high. <laughs> wow. Dang. With the starting Klingon experience refresh complete, this would be the perfect time to see the new sites with a new KDF tune. Also, the Klingon Civil War still rages on, and both sides desperately need cannon fodder. Uh, I mean, brave warriors. But Stovacor's eternal glory isn't enough for some people. They want dilithium, ships, and shiny new ways to kill people. Starting with the anniversary event, Cryptic kicked off Star Trek Online's fourth recruitment event, this time for the Klingon Empire. Until February 25th, new Klingon characters using the free character slot that Cryptic will happily just give you, they'll be officially dubbed Klingon Recruits. Like in previous events, Klingon Recruits get special rewards for meeting certain goals during the story and into the end game. This includes what sounds like the optional story objectives you completed with the other faction recruits, but naturally more violent. Enemies of the Empire abound, and whoever's on the other end of your transponder wants them dead and gone. Happy hunting. Your other characters also get benefits from the recruit progress like currencies, ship and ground traits, and piezoelectric execution scepters. Yeah, that alone sounds worth the effort, but if pain sticks ain't your style, how about a ship instead? Yep, Klingon recruits also get the Mkla, bird of prey of 22. It's actually Mkla. 
Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me explain the story. So as I'm doing the whole Melk Nezer thing for the the weekly videos, the captain's logs, I turn to Allie for some assistance with how to pronounce some of the Klingon things. And you know she's she's very diligent in looking it up and you know making sure that she remembers it correctly. And the way she taught me to remember it when I was trying to record it was. So that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Mm-tlah. You're welcome, everybody. Now you'll be singing Mbop for the rest of the week. That's right. Yeah, it did. Thanks. And, yep. Klingon recruits also get the Mcha Bird of Prey of 2255, refitted for battle in 2411. Details for the scaling Tier 6 ship, along with other recruit rewards, will be in our show notes. And as a side note, you can also play a Klingon from 2255, too. Discovery-era Klingons are now available as a KDF race, although identical to their modern counterparts other than their looks and uniform. Fortunately, no one ever had strong opinions about how the Klingons looked in Discovery, so that should be controversy-free. Okay, so just to be clear, I load up Star Trek Online, and I create a new character, and instead of selecting Federation, I just select KDF, and boom, new recruit, right? Yes. A new recruit for these recruitment rewards, right? Yes. Any race that's on the Klingon, that it's available. Trill, join Trill or Trill, you could play a Ferasin if you have that unlocked. You could play a, a normal Klingon all right. Gorn. TNG. Yeah, Gorn. Uh, yeah, Nausicaan. Any of that that you want to play. Alien. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good to know. I mean, so then again, when you when you have, when you're presented with the option between Federation and Klingon, all you have to do is select Klingon and boom, you are now on your way to becoming a Klingon recruit. The other thing too is that, I forget, is there a time limit in what I have to accomplish to get all the rewards? Or is it as long as I do the recruitment? Or is it as long as I start a new character, complete the tutorial, I can then take my sweet time. I could take two years if I wanted to, to get all these rewards. Yes. Uh, you just have to complete the tutorial on your Klingon recruit, which takes 20 minutes-ish. Cool. Well, are you dying to see the new Grethel? But don't have time to start your recruit right now? Well, the other massive Klingon story content dropped timed to the anniversary event as you covered. House Reborn continues the Klingon Civil War arc as Ja'ula's path to redeem the Empire brings us more familiar faces. Our proper review will come next week. We do want to give everybody an opportunity to play it without spoiling the mission. But if you're hearing this before playing and you haven't looked at Twitter in a while, here's a little itty bitty spoiler. The title's more appropriate than you might expect. So we've got these two new missions and somebody in the chat had pointed out that, ha, look, here are your missions that you guys were asking for. Yes. And we mentioned last week that that sounds cool when they first announced these two new missions. But as I said last week, I would put money on on there not being another mission until August, maybe October, like a playable mission. I would that that I would put my money on that. One thing we failed to point out in our previous discussion too is that they are they were up until just now revamping a lot of the old Klingon story arcs, and so some of the resources that might have gone into new missions were going into modernizing the old one. But we give them a, we need to give them a little bit a little bit more of a pass for that for that uh, for that undertaking. Uh, I'm not 
that ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I, think, I mean, it, it, it does take resources. It does take resources. One thing that we've talked about a lot of times is that they've got the, the devil's horns problem. You either work on something for your new people or you work on something for your veterans, and you have to allocate resources between those two constituencies. And so revamping the old missions, getting people stuff in the T store for shortcuts and recruitment events and leveling up to level 65, I mean, those things kind of help new people get in. So uh, they seem to be focusing a lot of stuff on that these days, and eventually they'll get around to something for the veterans too, but just not the high priority. Oh man, captains, red alert and brace for impact because we're about to hit the wall, or not, because the ships aren't restricted to factions anymore. Hear that? They are not restricted, but they are, kind of. It's a kind of complicated discussion on in-game policies, exactly the Earl Grey tea that Priority One loves to spill. As of January 26th, having a level 65 KDF officer on your account will unlock both factions' ships for all Fed and KDF officers on your account. Coming with the ships are their Admiralty cards, registries, prefixes, bridges, interiors, and any associated items like consoles or pets. Existing Zen store purchases are reclaimable across the divide, so your Orion engineer can have the Presidio-class cruiser of their dreams. But your Fed-aligned Romulan won't be getting their hands on a D4X anytime soon. The faction wall for ships still applies to Fed and KDF allies, for now at least. Forever? Who can say? Ship availability across Red versus Blue also means the end of other ways Cryptics tried bridging the divide. Cross-faction packs for ship-specific traits and consoles aren't going away. You can still find them in non-Zen stores or on the exchange. However, you won't be able to get new traits or consoles that way from here on out. Get ready to pay for those in the Zen store instead. So, yes, this is in fact the first step towards potentially fully bringing down the red versus blue wall. You know, we've had discussions about this with Al in the past and the Herculean endeavor that it would be to do that on the back end. But let's be real here. When it comes to gameplay, I would argue that a lot of players don't ever involve themselves in PvP, right? The casual player doesn't involve themselves in PvP. And that's really the only moment that the red versus blue matters, right? In every other instance, it's it's a hurdle. So I think for a 10-year-old MMO where the story arc does not depend on engaging with other players in a storyline, it might be time. It might be time to take on the Herculean task of breaking down that red versus blue wall because in Star Trek Online, it really doesn't matter. This seems more like a, a cheat, right? This seems more like a... A workaround, right? Well, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say cheat because it, it, this, this is a way to deliver the main benefit, which as we all know from years of discussion, Star Trek Online is about the ship. So the main benefit of playing the other side is having access to the other side's ships. That would be what most people would be most interested in. So this is like an 80% solution to the problem of us being red versus blue. It seems to me like they took a look at what it would actually entail to bring down the wall officially and let people do cross-team, uh, you know, cross-faction teaming and visit each other's star bases and, uh, and all the host of other things that bringing down the wall would, would imply. And they went, if we just gave each side the other side ships, that would be like most of it. That would be where most of our business is. That would be where most of the player activity is. That would be... we get most of the benefit by just doing this. And not to say, and according to uh, Jeremy uh, Borticus over at Cryptic, even doing just the ships was a manual task that had to be handled in a very kind of 
drudgery sort of way. So they're probably looking to see what the rewards are from doing that, seeing if people actually take up the challenge to make a level 65 Klingon, uh, seeing if people pay him 20 bucks to, to get this benefit, and then that might inform them going forward as to whether or not making the investment to bring down the rest of the wall might be worth it. So you bring up something about the money, right? So before you had to purchase the cross-faction bundles, right, to get these select few ships that allowed you as a Federation character to play Klingon ships, use Klingon ships. Explain to me how that's going to change and what that might mean for the monetization of these things, right? Because some people are upset about it. Some people are, you know, experiencing buyer's remorse because now technically the cross-faction ships don't matter. I, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how this may impact. Like, Kat, can you explain to me a little bit more about that transactional experience? You mean, like, why people are upset or just, like, the advantage? No, how is it going to work now? How, just how's it... Oh, so, I mean, this opens up a whole new round of ships because the majority of players play Fed. They never had access to the KDF ships, with a few exceptions. So now, those Fed players, since that's the bulk of the player base... They can fly any of the ships that are available in the Zen store, so maybe this would encourage them to purchase said ships, especially if they're making a new Klingon character. But even if they didn't want to do that, they could still get them for their Fed character. And what's this thing about the consoles from the bundles? I, I, I don't really quite understand that. Okay, so for some ships... Like the NX, that's a good example. So the Fed, the NX is a Fed ship, has an awesome trait. They offer a Lobby purchase of just that trait from the Lobby store for, for KDF and, you know, KDF aligned folks. So now, because you can get that ship if you're KDF, they're saying you should not be able to just get the console, uh, that you should just get the ship itself since you're able to. And that's what they're doing. So now if I'm a KDF player and I go into the Zen store and buy the NX, I do not get that console trait. I don't get that trait. You do, but it's much cheaper to just buy the console if you didn't uh, want the ship. <laughs> there's two things to this, right? There's the ships and then there's consoles. Right. The consoles that, yes, that you get or traits that you get. So there are the traits that you can get unlocked from a ship on the Fed side. You could get that trait specifically for KDF because you weren't able to to unlock it or get it previously. The mastery trait. But now you can't, right. So it's, there's a lot to consider here, right? There's, there's right. not just the, the ship itself and ooh, pretty, but there's also the consoles that in some cases were available to purchase in the lobby store. And then there's also the mastery trait, the starship mastery trait, which is not available for purchase. For that, you do have to get the ship. Right. But now, if I'm a KDF player and I want that NX and I buy the NX on the, in the Zen store, I still get now the console that was on the lobby store and I would get the mastery trait. Correct. Once you rank the ship up. Right. Once you level your ship. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... No matter what they do, people are going to be upset. So, you know, depending on what you play most of the time, I, I mean, I'm okay if they're trying to make, you know, positive changes that, you know, open stuff up for more players. Now, it's worth noting that you can, in fact, this new Klingon recruit that you create during this limited time of the anniversary event, uh, you can uh, pay to have it leveled to 65 immediately. But the way that the recruitment 
works is it's really designed for you to accomplish as you level up, right? So there might be a task of the recruitment. So it's it's twofold, right? You get you have to do obviously what the mission needs you to do, but you're going to see a new little UI window pop up that will tell you what to do in order to meet the recruitment event requirements. Mm-hmm. These objectives are not do not expire so long as you've completed the the tutorial. Right. But be mindful of that. So for those of you who are listening to the show that may be new to Star Trek Online, create the character and maybe don't invest on leveling straight to 65 because a lot of those recruitment event tasks, which give you those special rewards, are woven into the progress of leveling from 1 to 65. Some of the tasks, like for the one where you're given a Batleth on your Klingon recruit, you have to make one kill with melee damage. So it's going to track like your amount of kills or whatever. You'll get a bonus for that. But some stuff is like you rank up your um, admiralty or you rank up your reputation. And so it does take a long time. It's not like you can do any of this stuff overnight. I mean, some of this stuff takes a really long time to complete, you know, even without a recruitment event. Well, we did say and mention that the Fed-aligned Romulan still won't be getting on the bridge of a D4X, but if that's what you're after, then the brand new Tamer class Alliance Raider just might make you smile. This year's event grand prize for the 11th anniversary event is the account unlock of the tier 6 Tamer class Raider. Carrying on the spirit of cooperation that was embodied in the Kittimer-class battlecruiser, the Tamer is a joint Romulan and Klingon design available to all factions. The ship stats were published on Saturday, January 23rd by Ambassador Kel, and they look pretty tempting. This is a tier 6 raider with a 5-1 weapons layout, enhanced battle cloak, improved raider flanking, and command seating. The repulsor blaster experimental weapon and the sniper starship trait firmly establish the Tamer as a maximum range torpedo boat. So prepare to decloak at 10 kilometers away from your target at their flank and unload a volley of torpedoes and watch the fireworks. <laughs> In order to earn the ship, all you need to do is earn 40 or more daily progress points in the anniversary event. And the Tamer class is yours. I like that look of that ship. It looks pretty cool. It is a nice looking ship. Yeah, I don't hate it. And uh, Hector Ortiz has shared the concept art that he does for when he drafts up. You know, the way these ships are designed is, you know, there's obvious, there's a, a basic idea. Then Hector Ortiz draws out the concept and his drawings are just stunning. Just absolutely stunning. Like, they deserve to be framed. Like, each one that he does deserves to be framed. They're really striking. And I'm glad to see that everyone agrees it is a torpedo boat. I'm glad everyone agrees with that. I mean, it's a 5-1. What You can't, yeah. I mean, you're kind of limited. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Star Trek Online content update without a new lockbox, right? And this time we've got a box inspired by CBS's newest live-action Star Trek show, Picard. Specifically, the Picard Jatvash lockbox is inspired by the other Shadow Romulan Cabal that served as the antagonist for Picard's first season. The lockbox has all the lockbox offerings we've come to expect of lockboxes, personal ground and space traits, kit modules, duty officer assignments, new weapon packs, low beaster items, a new pitbull pet, and a grand prize tier 6 ship, which we'll discuss here in just a minute. In every box, there's also something new to the game, the impossible device. This new consumable will instantly remove one injury status at random from any ground player or player starship not currently in combat. If you use on another player, 
The device also applies an HP and outgoing healing buff for 30 minutes. See the details of everything in this new lockbox? Check out the link in our show notes. There were a couple of things that interested me from, from this particular lockbox, but does the blue skies trait seem to kind of overlap a little bit with the punch it now might now punch it is when below 50 percent hull strength you get a cleanse of crowd control and you gain increased defense and mobility for a brief period according to Dowiki. and blue skies is very similar in that way where if you're certain if you're a certain degree below health uh your hull is lower than i think 70 percent it starts at 70 it begins to scale a, a reaction to how low your hull is those two might complement each other. I just opened some boxes, so I got that trait, but I haven't had a chance to test it out. Wait, so it's current missing health is when it, uh, it scales? Right, it starts to scale the lower your hole gets. Gotcha. Right, so those might be a pretty cool combo. But yeah, if anyone out there has tried this, let us know. I like using those types of traits for uh, in my escorts, right? Because escorts tend to be squishy, but if I've got enough firepower, you know, I just kind of point my nose of the ship towards the enemy and try to blow it up as before it can blow me up. But I like I like these traits that are the oh traits. <laughs> For sure, everyone needs that button. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I have a button that links to like three or four things. That's the ocean. For me, button. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I really like, and I can't wait to try the new disruptor weapons. I do really like disruptors. I put them on most of my Klingon and Romulan ships. So again, I opened a bunch of boxes, so I have a whole bunch of these disruptor weapons. So I'm really excited to try them. Cat, don't lie. That's not what's most exciting to you. Oh, I know. Okay, well, I was going to talk about the dogs in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I got like 10 of them. And they all you you've managed to find a way to beat the system so that you can launch them all at once. You have like ten do- a pack of dogs following you. That'd be awesome. So the pit bulls are adorable. You should definitely get a pit bull. If you don't, hit me up. I'll send you one. I have a whole bunch. <laughs> She's got extra. Hold on, but it's a non-combat pet, right? Yeah, they're adorable, though. You wouldn't send your doggy into a combat zone. No. Oh, but it's okay to send a targ. Don't, don't, you don't be hypocrites. What? Don't be hypocrites. You, you're, you're okay sending a horda. Your targ is trained to go into battle. You're, Maybe you'll be but... fine sending a horda or a, or a velociraptor <laughs> with laser beams attached to its head. But it's yeah. a dog. We can't make it a combat pet. No, 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 no. <laughs> the horda chooses to go into combat because it's a sentient creature, and the targ is bred for attack. It is a attack beast. What about the dinosaur with freaking laser beams yeah, attached to its, it's head? It's got defenses. It's awesome. It's a creation of Doctor Evil. Of course, did you send it into battle? Don't be selective. All right, if you're gonna be <laughs> if you're gonna be an animal lover, then no it's animal dinosaur should freaking be. laser beams on his head. <laughs> Not too much to ask, really. <laughs> If you find yourself lucky enough to unpack a grand prize from the Jat Bosch lockbox, you'll get your hands on the brand new Dalkina Command Strike Wing Warbird. This new cross-faction Jat Bosch Warbird was last seen in Star Trek Picard confronting Captain Riker and the USS Zheng He. This ship sports a 5-2 weapon layout plus the experimental weapon slot, which are typical for the ship type. The Carbon Scorcher experimental weapon deals physical damage plus a heavy physical damage over time effect with a bonus damage resistance debuff. Specialty bridge seats include a command tactical command seat and a lieutenant commander universal 
Universal Intel seat. The new Universal Console Bombing Run passively boosts plasma damage and crit chance while clicking for a heavy kinetic and plasma damage attack. The ship's trait, Commanded Singularities, adds a micro-singularity hazard to the current target's location whenever a command or singularity ability is activated. So tell us, Captains, are you going to give Riker an excuse to kick your treacherous Tal Shiar ass? The link to all the ship stats and details is in our show notes. So for those of you that may not be aware, this is the ship that we saw and then saw and then saw because it was copy-pasted in the Great Armada Battle of Picard's Season 1 finale. Yeah, this is that ship. This is that ship that the treacherous Jadvash Talshiar Romulan commander was captaining on their way to eradicate the androids. You mean the tiny village that takes up about 300 square feet on the surface of a planet? I tried getting it. I opened a ton of boxes, but did not. Also worth noting that if you're trying to compare these new ships to anything else, it kind of would be comparable to the Tier 6 Jewel Tactical Carrier Warbird. However, the hull and shields are tougher in the uh, Jatvash lockbox ship. And it's less science capable as well. Well, Captains, we've given you a lot to unpack about the new features in the uh, latest update. And, you know, you've got to do your homework and play the missions because we'll talk about that next week. Right now, we'll wrap up Star Trek Gaming News and open up hailing frequencies to see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, we didn't ask a community question, but as the freaking fantastic fans you all are, you let us know on Facebook if you're planning to make a new Discovery-era Klingon and get the exclusive outfit. Agrela says on Facebook, for sure, but I really want a Kelpian. Famed Klingon cosplayer David Hoquin said, Go bay, which is Klingon for no. When fellow Trekkies challenged him as to why not, he responded, I don't know what those things are on Discovery, but they don't look like Klingons. After a few more debate points, the argument ended with Mike Tripp dropping an Obi-Wan Kenobi meme saying, they're all Klingons. Well, over on Twitter, when it was announced that the faction walls were kind of sort of coming down for at least for starships anyway, we wanted to know if that excited you. Sir Boulevard replies, the X-Faction ships? Yes. Losing the X-Faction console boxes? No. In fact, that seems to be a bad choice for both consumers and Cryptic. Devaluing their lockbox and making ships double or more in demand just for a console. TJ from the block responded, they need to keep the factions distinctive. And TJ, I disagree wholeheartedly, 100%. I think that for a 10-year-old game where there is such a an imbalance between the red versus blue pay- player base, I think that what could possibly keep the game refreshed and alive and ongoing for another 10 years is to bring down the faction wall so that we can just all play together. Golden Force 772 says, I'm excited for RP purposes. Well, that wraps up episode 494 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Now, Captains, we haven't been asking community questions during the episodes, but 
Our social media manager extraordinaire, Anthony, does post questions regardless of whether or not we say them here. So check us out on our social media channels for those questions. Well, Captains, as you may have noticed, we failed to ask a community question again this week, but that doesn't mean we won't ask them later via our social media pages. That's right. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod, where you will see our social media manager, Anthony, transmit out the burning questions that we need burning answers to. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com and... If you're a captain rank in any of our fleets, you know we have specialty fleets, including the Klingon High Council, which is perfect for your new Klingon recruits. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. And captains, during these incredibly difficult times, we are humbled by the support of our patrons who contribute a financial amount each and every month. They find value in this show and they appreciate the hard work that it takes and for that, we are so very grateful. If you can't offer a financial contribution, that's okay too. Be sure to share this show on all your social media channels once it's published, because that's the next best thing to support Priority One. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and and traps in less time than it takes to skin a live urn. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Daniel, Rand, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy. And, of course, to Brandon, who not only edits the show, but is our live stream technician extraordinaire. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage. We have some breaking news from Twitter regarding the Nickelodeon animated show Star Trek Prodigy. On Monday, January 24th, Kate Mulgrew was asked about the show, saying that she had already finished recording for Prodigy. Prodigy. I feel Say, your pain. <laughs> it's a new paradigm. This is oh, that's Prodigy. right. That's right. 
Wasn't it, wasn't it you that were saying pro- prodigy? Wasn't yes. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard. I'll word just to say. I'll just start that all over again because <laughs> it's just it's so far off the rails it doesn't even count. Please we do. Need the bloopers. Beep, beep. In the beginning, we fought to preserve the empire as a warrior's paradise. Oh, get- come on. If you're going to yeah, do it, commit, come on, man. I can't. Commit. Think. Totally commit. Come we on, fought Kat. to preserve the empire as come a warrior's paradise. You wanted to. You were right that- there. Yeah. You were right there. You were like, you were like, yeah. Uh, like, it was you, were like there, you were going there and you held back. You pulled it was yourself like a bungee jumping. Act like a Cleon. I literally right. just watched Cat try to bungee jump and it was like, oh, no, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> like- <laughs> we could whack. Whoa. I know you said to read this earlier, and I probably (laughs) should have, because I was not prepared for these words to go together. Oh, my God. Warriors. (laughs) My God, now we need to do a parody of Mbop. Damn. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. I don't know what the f*** You just just (laughs) need to do that over again. Where the hell I was going with that. Klingon cosplayer David Holquin said, Go, go, dang, I don't know. He just how said, Go bay, or something like that. I don't know. Just All make right. it sound exotic. If you find yourself lucky enough to unpack a grand prize from the new Jot Bosch Lockbox, you'll get your what? hands. Jot Bosch Lockbox. <laughs> I heard, I heard Shot Bosch. Oh, yeah. All right. Sean Connery's Jot Bosch Lockbox. That's what that is. <laughs> get her shop up a car disruptor. <laughs> Damn it, why'd you do that? <laughs> Simple, it's the Jot Voshlock Box. Trebek. <laughs> Open the box, Trebek. Open the box, Trebek. I bet your mother's in there. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to read this. <laughs> I bet your mother's in there. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's straight out of SNL. That's good. That's good. I I feel like we need an ointment. You do a salve. You need a salve. Yeah, salve. Just, Got it. And then and then a wrap and Got some it. aloe vera. Okay. Some aloe aloe vera. <laughs> You're on fire tonight. I'm on fire. I'm on fire, Jerry. <laughs> oh my god. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.